This is the How'd You Get Into That Podcast with Graham Baldwin, episode 55. Let's go. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to episode 55 of the How'd You Get Into That Podcast. My name is Grant. It is great to have you here with us. Hope you're doing well. Hopefully, uh, wherever you are in the world, whatever time of day it is that you're listening, whether you're driving into work, whether you're at the gym, whether you're going for a walk, whatever it is you're doing in life, thanks for hanging out with us. Really, really means a lot. We got a great, great guest for you today. Great interview that's going to blow your mind, help you think really beyond what is possible in terms of a career, in terms of starting a business, in terms of really making a difference and making a little dent in the world. So this is really going to be good stuff today. Hey, uh, I've told you about it for the past week or so, but we are doing a huge, huge giveaway right now. Uh, The biggest giveaway that we've done so far this year. So you will not want to miss that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it. after the interview. So stick around for that. Also, we, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about a project we have been working on a top secret project we have been in the laboratory of life working on for the past several months. Uh, really excited to be bringing that to you over the next couple of weeks. So uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that as well. So make sure that you stick around after the interview to get all of those details. All right. Today we are joined by my friend Scott Harrison. Scott is the CEO and founder of Charity Water. Uh, they are an operation that has been in a, been around for uh, I think eight, 10 years or so. They have, uh, check this out, they have raised 150 million dollars to provide clean drinking water to people in 22 different countries. Crazy. Now, now I assume because that you're listening to this, you have some serious modern technology. And so the fact that you have running water in your apartment, in your house, uh, wherever it is that you are, it's one of those things that we take for granted. And so it's interesting to hear Scott's story and journey about how he realized uh, this massive need that uh, at the time, a billion people didn't have clean drinking water. And he knew he could provide some type of solution for that. So really great, inspiring story. I'm excited to share with you. So enough about it. Let's get into it. Here you go. Enjoy my interview with Scott. All right, what is up? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by Scott Harrison, the uh, founder and CEO of Charity Water. Uh, Excited to get into his story today. I know a lot of you have been asking about some nonprofits. How do you get into that whole world? So we're going to be digging into that story today. So Scott, what is up? Welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me. Hey, it is great to have you here. Again, a lot of people have been asking about this. Obviously, you run a, a significant a nonprofit that's making just a, a, a massive dent literally all around the world. So give us an overview for people that aren't familiar with Charity Water. Tell us what you guys do. Sure, man. We um, fund clean drinking water projects. We've done that in about 22 countries around the world, about 13,000 villages. Uh, and we are focused on getting the rural poor access to clean drinking water. About 800 million people in the world today do not have, have never had uh, something that you know many of us take for granted every single day. And we uh, we fund a variety of different solutions, from wells to rainwater harvesting systems to kind of big spring catchments, and uh, and are just trying to bring clean water to everybody on Earth. That's crazy. Uh, let's. Uh, we were talking a little bit offline, but give us a, just kind of the scope of the the number of people that you've been able to impact. This is more than just like you know I, I built a well or two, but I mean you guys are doing some stuff on some significant scale. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, we're we're eight years in, and you know, we have a pretty pretty well. We have an amazing team here in New York, and about fifteen hundred people around the world now that are working on these projects. 
But yeah, it's about four four point four million lives impacted with clean water, you know, through the projects that are funded. And you know, I was saying earlier that what I'm probably most excited about because I can't get my head around big numbers is uh, that this year we're helping about 2,700 people every single day of the year or one person every 30 seconds. And, you know, that's really thanks to the amazing supporters and the generosity of, you know, nine-year-old kids out there banging away at lemonade stands and, you know, people being really generous, you know, in, in, in service and, and through their money. Why did you decide to approach something like clean water in the first place? Because obviously that's that's such a massive need. And it's, again, like you were saying, it's, it's kind of one of those things that's just difficult to get your mind around about how big and significant the need is. So of all the things that you could do, why clean water? Well, I had gotten my start. It was funny that you said, you know, <laughs> maybe people could follow my path. I, I, I don't think uh, anybody wants to follow my path into nonprofits. It was a crazy kind of crazy how I found myself doing this today, but I had rebelled from a very conservative Christian family growing up. I was an only child. I was taking care of, uh, of a mom who was an invalid with a kind of rare disease. And then at 18, just, you know, rebelled hardcore, moved to the city, sex, drugs, rock and roll, gambling, you know, wound up living a very, very decadent 10 years in New York nightlife uh, as, a, as a club promoter. And then at, at 28, I just, I realized I'd become the worst person I knew. I was soulless. I was morally bankrupt, uh, spiritually bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt, and kind of re-opted back into faith as an adult. And I'm, I'm a pretty radical guy, so I, I wound up selling all my possessions and going into Liberia uh, on a humanitarian mission. This will connect to water. Uh, <laughs> I spent two years on this hospital ship with a group of doctors as a volunteer photojournalist. And as I was spending so much time with the sick, you know, we, we would turn up in a country and over 5,000 people would come to see our doctors. And, you know, they would have uh, cleft lips. They would have tumors growing. Uh, they'd be blind. And as I went into the villages, I saw that half of more than half the population drank from swamps and from ponds and from rivers. So for me, it was really a connection uh, on a two-year humanitarian mission with doctors to, oh my gosh, people are getting sick because they're drinking nasty freaking swamp water. Right. So here we are with these doctors doing expensive surgeries. We're operating on a, you know, on a giant hospital ship. And, you know, millions of people in the, the villages don't have the most basic need for health met. Uh, and that's how I kind of decided to work on the bigger problem, which at the time was a billion people without clean water. Uh, that now, now that number is closer to 800 million. So we're actually going in the right direction. That's crazy. Yeah. And again, it's just the, the type of thing that a billion people, whether it's a billion or 800 million, that's still, a, that's a lot of people that are just having this, this significant need that so many of us, especially, you know, in the, within the States and I guess literally all around the world in developed countries, just take for granted turning on the faucet or turning off the faucet that here's something that's so simple and basic that so many people are just missing out on. It's true. And, and it's, you know, it's hard for us to imagine earlier this year, I lived in a village in Ethiopia that I had to walk nine hours into after the road ended. And, you know, there are 3,000 people there living without access to clean water. And the walks, you know, you wouldn't believe it. Five-hour walks, sometimes eight-hour walks in, you know, blazing heat to then get at disgusting water that we wouldn't let our dogs drink. You know, we would yank our dogs, you know, by their neck so fast if, if, if they tried to drink the water that, 
you know, that these men, women, and children uh, are simply because of where they were born, simply because of, of where they live. So it's, uh, you know, it's something I, I've specifically been to Ethiopia now 22 or 23 times over the last couple of years and, you know, get to spend a lot of time around the country visiting our projects. And it is, it is a very real, a very human problem. You know, I, I think right. it's, it's, it's sometimes easy to just shut down at those big numbers, 800 million people, but it's, it's really about people kind of trapped in these unimaginable circumstances without something so basic, you know, that many of us take for granted. Yeah. Let's backtrack a little bit. I know you, you gave us a quick snapshot there on, on your, your, your growing up in childhood. What did you want to do when you were growing up? Oh man, I went from, you know, fireman to astronaut to, uh, to doctor. All, yeah, of, was, all of the above. There was a period, one of the weirdest things I ever did, you know, my, my mom was sick, so the doctor thing made sense, but I thought pathology was kind of cool, which is basically cutting up dead people. So at, at 14 or 15, I convinced the pathologist in our hometown to actually let me do an autopsy with him. And I'm sure it was highly illegal, you know, him letting some kid <laughs> in with a scalpel and like a saw. But pathologists, I think I came to, you know, learn are, are um, a rare breed. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, I, I just found it fascinating. So, you know, that was that was a very brief period of, um, you know, smelling formaldehyde and, and thinking that, you know, I was going to be on CSI or something. Right, right. And then, um, and then just kind of really through music, through a band I was in that was playing around at a bunch of the, the venues in New York City, stumbled into nightlife. And, you know, if you'd asked me during that time, you know, I was making a career, you know, getting drunk for free and getting my friends drunk for free. And, and that was, you know, how my life was going to have meaning. And, you know, thankfully I, I came to my senses. Well, so when you're in New York and you're just, you're bouncing around just doing the clubs, it sounds like you don't really have any direction or purpose. You're just kind of like stumbling and fumbling through life at best. Yeah, I mean, it looked great on the outside, though. You know, we, we sure. worked a couple nights uh, a week. You know, you're jumping into black cars with pretty girls and flying around to Milan and Paris for Fashion Week. And, you know, everybody has a Rolex. People have planes. Uh, there's Just you know, there's like no the song said. Yeah, there's good champagne freely flowing. But yes, absolutely. I mean, is that what, what my tombstone was going to read? You know, here, here lies a guy who just got people wasted for a living. <laughs> what, that, that's that's kind of how it, how it ends up for a lot of people. What, what finally like tripped in your mind of like, ah, you know, maybe at some point this little joyride has got to come to an end. Maybe I got to do something else with my life. What, what kind of triggered that for you? You know, I was on this New Year's Eve vacation in Punta del Este down in Uruguay you know, with the beautiful people, with the jet set. And we threw this party at our house and, you know, we'd rented servants and, and horses. And, you know, it was, it was a pretty beautiful place. And we threw this giant party. And I just remember like a day later, the party was still going on. And I was high on all sorts of drugs and just wanted the party to end, wanted the music to stop. <laughs> and just had this kind of, just this realization of uh, I'd lost my soul. You know, I'd really lost my path. And I remember starting to read theology. So, you know, again, I, I grew up in, in a you know, non-denominational Christian church and had never really walked away from my faith, but had certainly walked away from any semblance of, uh, of, of living it out with sure. any sort of integrity or, or obedience or, or any higher values. So I, I wound up reading this book uh, called The Pursuit of God by, uh, you know, a deep theologian, A.W. Tozer. And I was, yep. you know, hung over like crazy. So it's a very interesting kind of dichotomy of two opposites. And, you know, I just started finding my way back to, you know, to a very lost faith. And 
at 28 years old, you know, it's, it's interesting opting back into something as an adult that, that's not forced down, you know, your throat. I thought, you know, to live it out with integrity and, you know, without hypocrisy, I, I could maybe go serve the poor. I could look after widows and orphans and, and uh, you know, g- give up all of those vices and, and try and, you know, completely make a 180 degree turn. So that's how I found myself in uh, in Liberia after the war. And so that was you. You said you were what twenty eight or so when that happened. Yeah, it was exactly ten years ago. All right. So you're twenty eight at the time. You have this epiphany on you know January first or second or so. What's your next step? Because it's it's one thing to read and something and just kind of feel inspired in the moment of the of the new year, but it's something totally different to actually take action on it. So what's your next step from there? It took me a few months, and I remember trying to you know, find my way back and try and find a church and find some sort of community. And, and that was difficult. And, you know, the luster, the, the shine had really kind of worn off nightlife. You know, I didn't think that I could live out any sort of faith, you know, doing what I did, basically just getting people bombed every night. And, and you know, the, the more wasted I, I got people, the more money I made. So success was really trading in on that. Right. So, you know, it took me about four or five months. And then there was just, there was an event at a nightlife, which just gave me a great chance to get out of town for, for a little while and, and take a look, you know, back on this New York nightlife. And just, I didn't go back. You know, I, I, I kind of cut this deal with God from an internet cafe in Maine and said, you know, I will tithe back one of the 10 years I've completely selfishly wasted. And, you know, I'll go to Africa, I'll go serve the poor. And I just started applying to humanitarian organizations. And one, one of the funny things was that no one took me. So I was just denied by the World Visions and the Save the Children's and UNICEF's of the world. Uh, nobody wanted a club promoter as part of their humanitarian mission. Shocking. And I, you know, I, I joke, I, I see Rich Stearns uh, every once in a while and I'm like, you know, you didn't hire me, right? <laughs> we've, uh, we've, you know, we've, we've supported the organization with millions of dollars since. So I think uh, I'm probably more useful to them now than, than had they actually hired me. But yeah, Mercy Ships eventually said, look, Scott, pay us $500 a month and you can come and volunteer in our mission. <laughs> so it was, it was perfect in a way because it was really the exact opposite of my, in my life. I would, I, I would not only volunteer, but it would cost me money to go and serve. So whenever you you make that decision to head over there, it sounds like it's not like, you know, I'm really intrigued by nonprofit, so let's get over there and get a taste of it. It's more like, I just got to get my life on track right now. So let's just do yeah, this. Go anywhere. You know, yeah, <laughs> where, where If I have to pay to volunteer, then so be it. But I'm just going to do this for this next little season and just kind of see where it evolves to. Are you, even whenever you're over there, are you, at what point are you thinking like, maybe like this is my next season alive. Like maybe this is my career. Are you thinking about, well, I'm just, you know, I'm going to do my year or two and then I'm going to head back to the States and, and pick up something different. You know, I was all in. I mean, Grant, I, I remember um, having this moment. So, you know, this giant 522 foot yacht turned into a, a 42 bed state of the art hospital ward was going to pick me and a bunch of other volunteers up. And I remember just believing that I would have to give up all my vices. And, you know, I was smoking two packs a day for 10 years and, you know, excessively drinking. And I remember I had like, you know, the patch on Nicorette in my mouth and I'm, I'm still smoking, (laughs) just trying to figure out how I get. And and I just, I kind of went out with a bang. I remember getting bombed before the ship came in and that was it, you know, walking up the gangway and and never gambling again and never touching another cigarette and never touching Coke, uh, never touching porn or strip clubs or some of the kind of darker stuff I was into. It was really like I, I symbolically stepped into a new story by walking up a gangway onto a ship and then sailing away from my old life. 
when we sailed in and, and arrived in West Africa, my entire world was then turned upside down in the most kind of gut-wrenching, emotional way by what I saw. You know, I saw extreme poverty for the first time. I saw the sickest people in the country that came from the farthest parts of the country to stand outside a football stadium that our doctors had, had been given by the government to screen patients to see them. And I remember we had about 1,500 surgery slots, people that we could help, and there were over 5,000 people that came. So my heart just broke. I mean, I remember just weeping and weeping, never, never having contemplated this before, never knowing that this existed, and hearing these people's stories, meeting them, and then being also inspired, watching those needs met, watching these doctors who could be anywhere. You know, they could have been on their vacations in the Bahamas with their families, and they had given up that time to use their gifts to operate for free on the poor. It sounds like the whole thing is just like this radical life transformation. Like, holy it, crap, it was, what have I got myself into? It was amazing. You know, there, there's actually an old blog that, that I kind of still keep up called On a Mercy Ship. And, you know, some of the photos there, I mean, I, I, mean, I, was, I was documenting people with nine-pound tumors. I mean, some of the stuff we saw, Jeez. people with missing faces from flesh-eating disease, and just some of the most inspiring stories. So what was cool was that, you know, as I was running this blog and, and running around taking pictures and videos and writing stories, I was able to communicate back to the 15,000 people on my nightlife list. So I was really trying to instantly redeem, you know, those 10 years of relationships or, or the, the mailing list and tell a new story. You know, instead of come get drunk at, you know, whatever nightclub for whatever party, it was you know, here is this amazing story of a blind woman who can see because a doctor flew all the way down here and for free removed her cataract and is able to live a completely different life. That was really impactful. And, you know, I, I learned there the power of storytelling, the power of kind of real-time media to capture people's imagination, to move them towards compassion, towards empathy, towards generosity. Whenever you're sending out those emails to a list that is not exactly used to getting heartwarming stories from you, what is the reaction from people of like, what has happened to Scott? He went off the deep end, in a, maybe in a good way, but what are people thinking whenever you're starting to tell them what you're involved in? You know, I, I joked that my list uh, was kind of split into two camps. One was, take me off of this list. <laughs> uh, I did not sign up for, you know, tumors to be sent to my inbox and then, you know, the, the other response was, this is amazing. You know, I remember a woman saying, I'm sitting here at Chanel at my desk, and I'm just weeping, reading this story about a woman my age who didn't have access to medical care, something I've had my entire life. So, you know, some people kind of dug in, they gave, some people volunteered, others went running as far away from, from that reality as, as possible. Yeah. So when you cut, you're over there for two years before you come back to the States? Yeah, I did kind of eight months. I came back for a couple months to raise money and awareness for the mission. And then I went back for another eight months. So, so it was about a, a two-year period all in. So when you get back, are you thinking, well, that was fun. Let's go find our, our corporate gig and let's move on. Or you, it seems like you just, you can't, you can't escape this from your own mind. Like I, I have to do something about this. Great question. So I came back and I wanted to make the organization famous. I couldn't believe that for 26 years, you know, Mercy Ships had giant, sailed a giant hospital ship up and down the African coast, full of volunteer doctors, and not a single person in New York had ever heard of them that I, that I ran in contact with. Yeah. I mean, how is that possible? 
You know, doctors fly in, give up their vacation time. You know, the blind can see, you know, people with tumors are, are giving their faces back. And none of my friends had ever heard of this organization. So I, I tried to make them famous by, you know, publishing some of the photos, by doing an event in New York, by raising money, you know, through my network. And then really jumped back on another eight-month tour. So the second year was about showing people what we did with their money. So I raised about $95,000 through an event and then, you know, wanted to say, look, your money isn't going to disappear. You know, the ship is not going to turn now into a luxury yacht. We're going back. You know, people are committed to this and your money is going to be spent well. Yeah. So at what point are you starting to think like, okay, I can keep promoting their thing and that's cool and that's all well and good. But what point are you like, I think I want to try my own hand at this and just doing my own deal. So yeah, so at the end of the, the second tour, you know, my idea still was to kind of make them famous and even on a grander scale. I mean, I wanted to do exhibitions and I had found train stations in Berlin, you know, cavernous spaces. And, you know, I wanted to do gallery shows and exhibitions and, you know, digital kind of installations. And it just wasn't a good fit with the organization, to be quite honest. You know, the kind of brash 30-year-old New Yorker, you know, with a million ideas of, of how to market how to do charity completely differently, institutional organization who had you know success over 25 years, kind of doing a bunch of stuff that that worked. So you know, to put it delicately, really, the door was just kind of shut that that wasn't going to be a great fit going forward. That I wasn't going to be able to add the value to that organization that that I really wanted to. And I just had a I had a huge vision. I mean, you know, I thought there should be 50 ships, <laughs> and just really thought thought big. So that's why it was kind of easy to jump down to the bigger issue that I'd seen over those two years, which was, that's great. You know, we're going to help 1500 people with surgeries, but there are millions of people without clean water in this country. You know, who's working on that problem? And, and really nobody was working on that problem at scale at the time. Well, it's interesting too, something you kind of alluded to there that I think when you kind of step back, you look at the trajectory of your career, it's like, how do you connect the dots between club life and making, making the rounds in that scene versus like this, you know, great humanitarian, you know, but I think it's interesting how you kind of said there that a lot of the skills that you had learned and marketing and promoting really translated well to spreading the word about this need that exists all around the world. So I think that's always a great point for people is sometimes they feel like, well, you know, club life and, and this scene is all I know. So, uh, but realizing like that skill sets you've learned and whatever that niche is that you're in today may translate into a million other different possibilities. Yeah. I, I like that idea of connecting the dots. You know, if you, I think if you look at the career, I was a promoter for 10 years, I promoted getting drunk. You know, your life grand has meeting. If you get past my velvet rope, into the club where Puffy's at table one and Jay-Z's at table three and all the right people are there. And, you know, the more money you spend, the more value you are. Yeah, you know, you're, you're the cooler you are. So that was 10 years. You know, Mercy Ships, I was promoting this idea of these doctors, you know, this humanitarian service, these huge hearts, people using their skills for good to connect in a very direct way with people who just don't have access to medical care. And then for the last eight years, since I started Charity Water, it's been kind of promoting my own vision, not just of, of a world where every single man, woman, and child drinks clean water, but also there's a different way to do charity. There's a completely different way to tell stories, to raise money, to use design and branding, to use mobile, to use social, to, to build a movement. 
So whenever you are starting to just ponder this idea of creating your own thing, what are the, I'm assuming you've got some level of insecurities and doubts and fears going, man, to tackle clean drinking water. There's a, there's a billion people on the planet that need this. Who am I? I'm, you know, I'm Scott Harrison from, from New York. Who am I to make any type of dent in this? So what's kind of going through your mind as you're thinking like, maybe this is my next step, but geez, I'm not really sure what I'm getting myself into. Uh, you know, I probably should have thought all those things, but I just really, uh, really moved forward. You know, I was, I, I didn't have a place to live. I was crashing with a buddy. He said, look, you can build your charity from my couch in my living room as long as I don't need it. And I just started, you know, I was running around telling stories and I just, I would drag my laptop out and I would make 10 presentations a day and I would ask people to help either with their time or, or to join me as a, as a full-time you know, worker that, you know, I couldn't even pay in the beginning or to write a check and, and to, to be generous with their money. So I just, you know, pitched enough people that a fraction of them said yes. And then we got a little more emotion, a little more emotion and, you know, it just continued to grow. It was incredibly difficult in the beginning. It was incredibly hard. You know, it was not kind of the wind at our backs. Even today, you know, I use the analogy sometimes that, uh, you know, we're just rolling this giant, giant boulder up a hill. And yeah, great. You know, eight years later, we raised $150 million, but it doesn't get any easier. And January 1, you know, you start at zero and you, you do it all over again and then you grow and you try and get more people involved and you try and unlock more and more generosity. Our model, our business model made things even harder. You know, as I wanted to reinvent charity, as I wanted to reinvent giving, I saw that my friends didn't trust charities because they didn't know where their money would go. Right. And I would hear about the black hole of giving and, oh man, I don't know how much of my money is actually going to get to those people. You know, probably only 20%, 80% is going to go to overhead. And everybody seemed to have a horror story of some charity mismanaging their funds. Right. So that was a, a really core tenet and belief of Charity Water, that people deserve to know exactly where their money is going. And you know, I literally opened up two bank accounts, I think with 100 bucks each, and said, we are never going to step on a penny of the public's money. 100% of the money will go directly to fund water projects and help people around the world. And somehow we are going to convince another group of people that it's cool to pay for overhead to make this whole thing possible. Yeah. So that, you know, we will be able to pay a team. We will be able to have an office. We'll be able to buy our tickets to actually go and manage these flights around the world. So, you know, pretty difficult starting two organizations from scratch with no experience. And then you have to run them in perfect balance. But, you know, somehow, uh, somehow we made it work. <laughs> Whenever you're first pitching people, at that point, you're just kind of pitching a vision. You're pitching a dream. There's nothing really tangible that, that you've got at that point, it sounds like. So wh who are the people that you are pitching and what is it exactly that you're pitching them on? Yeah, it's funny. I found an old video from back then. and I was running around saying, hi, my name is Scott and I've started a charity called Charity. So there wasn't even <laughs> the water piece. It was the charity colon really, you know, this trying to build a movement of generosity and compassion and get people to think differently about giving, get them excited about giving, get them addicted to giving. Just charity to be determined. Charity to be determined. And then, you know, the water came very quickly. But, you know, the, the initial idea was, well, we could do charity education, charity colon vision, charity, you know, who knew, maybe health, maybe you shelter one day. And what's been cool is that the, the focus on water you know, even eight years in, the singular focus on water has served us really well as we've just gotten better and better at, at implementing at sustainability. 
And also realizing that when you do water, you impact health, you impact education, you impact vision, you impact uh, local economies as women get time back and turn that time into money. So it was this beautiful, beautiful issue that it was like eight issues in one and, and a huge market of 800 million people kind of crying out for help. You said earlier that whenever you're getting started, that it was just, there's no wind at your back at all. And it's just a brutal uphill battle. And I assume, you know, even as you, you kind of alluded to as well, that it gets maybe slightly easier, maybe, but it's still really, really tough to gain any traction and momentum early on. So I guess the question in my mind is like, why didn't you quit? There's easier ways to make a difference. There's easier ways to make a living. So uh, if it's that brutal early on, isn't it easier just to throw in the towel? Oh, man. Stubbornness? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, probably the most vivid moment I remember of discouragement uh, came about a year and a half in. And we'd raised a couple million dollars for water projects using this very clean 100% message. And, you know, I had a few weeks left to make payroll and pay our staff. And, you know, we had a small team, I think, of nine at the time. And, you know, these people have... have left jobs, they're taking less money, you know, there's no health care at Charity Water. They made real sacrifices to, to work on this mission. And here, I'm not going to be able to make payroll. And it's interesting, you know, you're, some, some friends and advisors said, hey, just borrow from all that money you raised from the public, you know, you'll pay it back later. But you can't go bankrupt, you can't not pay your staff, money's fungible. Dip into that account and kind of, uh, and I remember just being so offended by that idea. Yeah. You know, that, that they would question the integrity of, of how money, you know, was treated at Charity Water. And I was just going to grant out all of the available money and I guess shut the thing down and, and try again with the traditional business model if I couldn't make the 100% work. And, uh, you know, I remember praying about it a lot at the moment without very much faith, if, I, if I'm honest. So it was much more worry and sweat and, you know, discouragement. And while I've, I've picked a stupid model and you know, what everybody said that it was too hard, you know, they were all right. And at that moment, uh, I met a stranger. We spent two hours together in a meeting, you know, told him where we were at, told him about the vision. And he dropped a million dollars into that bank account, uh, going from a few weeks of funding to 13 months. No way. And, you know, it's interesting now that I look back on that and, and I've obviously become close with, with he and his family, <laughs> you know, I think it was the confidence as much as the money. You know, it was someone else saying, yeah, here's a million dollars. You just need more time. You know, here's some runway. But I really do believe in, in this crazy idea of yours. Uh, I do believe in, in your vision and the purity of, of why you're doing this to try and bring this disenchanted group of people who just don't trust charity, you know, back for a second look. So that's a dream of mine one day to, you know, even though I, I am on a nonprofit salary, I'd love to donate a million dollars and, and pay that forward. That's crazy. Uh, and do yeah. that one else. Great story. All right, let's wrap up with this for, for, again, I alluded to it at the top of the show, but there's a lot of people who may be listening to this. They're like, man, I've, I want to make a little dent in the planet and I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know where to begin. I'd love to, to start a nonprofit or be a part of a nonprofit. So looking back over your journey over the past 10 years, what would you say to yourself 10 years ago as, as you're getting started and you're kind of getting the ball rolling and you're pushing that boulder uphill and the wind's in your face? What advice would you give to someone that may be listening to this in the same spot? I would just say that, you know, you can't have enough grit and determination and tenacity. And, you know, you really have to have a vision and it gets really hard. I found storytelling to be the, the single most kind of important factor, you know, just, just going out and telling the story 
and somehow not being bored. You know, I mean, I've <laughs> probably spoke 50 times last year to audiences and, and, you know, you just keep showing up and it's like planting seeds. And, you know, I have had talks that I thought went terribly and, and nothing happened. And then a couple of years later, you know, something incredible happens from someone who was there. So it's just, it's really just fighting and, you know, you have to have a clear vision. You have to really believe that, that it's possible and then just keep showing up and showing up and showing up and showing up. Good stuff. Hey, I know that a lot of people in our community, we want to do more than just, you know, start nonprofits and, and talk about making a dent, but we want to actually do it. So what are ways that, that listeners can actually get involved with Charity Water? How can we help? I know one thing that we, you know, that we had talked a little bit about that's been super successful for you guys is just donating your birthday. So give us an yeah. overview on what that is and, and how people can contribute to that. Yeah. So, you know, most charities run around asking people for money and we thought, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd had this personal experience. I launched Charity Water on my 31st birthday and you know, I threw a huge party and, and got all my friends to drop 20 bucks at the door and wound up raising quite a bit of money. And a, a year later, I thought, I don't actually want to throw a party. You know, I don't need a party and, and I certainly don't need a tie or a wallet or an Amazon gift card. You know, we, we have enough stuff, you know, for Pete's sake, 800 million people don't even have clean water and we're celebrating, you know, our birthdays through, through just getting all this stuff. So I got this idea to donate my birthday for clean water and ask for my age in dollars from everyone I knew. So I liked the fact that $32 was a little messy of a number and almost everyone I knew had $32 they could donate to, to charity. You know, just coming to my party in a, in a taxi and you know, tipping the waitress, you would have spent 30 bucks. So I wound up raising $59,000 just virtually through my birthday wow. as people seem to really like this idea and give 32. And, and this is just something that now, you know, over 17,000 people have done at Charity Water. And, you know, instead of throwing a birthday party, they just go out to their friends and family and seven-year-olds ask for $7 and 81-year-olds ask for $81. And it's just the remark most remarkable thing. It really works. You know, the average person raises $1,000. It surprises many people how successful they actually are with this, this simple idea, which I think, you know, taps into something really personal and, and redemptive. You know, if we can use our birthdays so that other people actually have more birthdays, so they can live longer, they can be more productive. It's a great thing to do uh, once or, you know, even twice or, I don't know, I've done five or six birthdays now. Let's make that real tangible. So if the average person raises $1,000, what does that translate to in the number of people that it can help? Yeah, it's about 30 bucks to give someone access to clean water. So yeah, you know, imagine giving, um, you know, 30 some people clean water through your birthday. Wow. Um, it's a pretty powerful thing. So we have a pretty cool uh, site that explains all that at charitywater.org slash birthdays. And people can actually pledge. And even if your birthday is a year from now, you know, we remind you three or four weeks before and, and give you simple instructions on, on how it works. So yeah, that's a simple action people can take to kind of you know, just, just do something small and, and help other people get clean water and a million things you could do, a million great causes out there. You know, I, I just, I tell people it doesn't need to be us, but just go find something that you're, you're engaging in. Hey, if people want to uh, learn more about you or follow you online, uh, learn more about Charity Water or your journey, uh, where can we go? Yeah, we're just uh, charitywater.org. Awesome. Very good. Scott, really appreciate the time, man. Enjoyed hearing your story and journey. Thanks for inspiring us and uh, we will catch you soon. Cool, man. Thanks so much, Grant. Boom. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that, uh, that interview with Scott. How crazy was his story, huh? 
just up and down roller coaster of life and to now know that he's he's literally helping millions and millions of people around the world. What did he say? It was at 2,700 people every single day. 2,700 people today have clean drinking water that did not have clean drinking water yesterday. That is crazy. One person every 30 seconds, he said. It's just... It's just baffling, you know, and sometimes you think like, "Ah, man, I don't know what I could do to make a difference in the world. I don't know how I could make any type of impact. And here he is thinking massive, massive. And you heard him whenever he started, he was just slightly stubborn and naive of going, I don't really know what I'm doing or what I'm getting myself into, but I think I, I I think I'm just naive enough to make a little difference in the world, and and here to, to see what he's doing today is just uh, is massive. So another thing I thought was really interesting in his story is about how he made a, a just a massive a massive pivot. You know that that New Year's Eve story of him just figuring out what am I doing with my life and where is it that I'm going and that massive significant pivot that he made. You know, I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know what, what's going on in your world. And maybe you've been headed down a path. And maybe it's not the, the club scene or the, the drug or, or party scene or anything. But you're just realizing this path that I'm on isn't the kind of life that I want to create for myself. And, you know, the, the, the great thing about life is you are in control of your own. You know, you have the ability to create the kind of life that you want to have, but it's up to you to make it happen. So he was realizing and recognizing, I want to do something different. I don't want to just keep going down this path. And so he's made a, a big pivot, a big shift to do what he's doing today. And so hopefully that's that's encouraging and inspiring to you. Also, I love the thing that we talked about at the end there of just that that donate your birthday challenge. So I'd encourage you, I'd challenge you to participate in that. We will link up to that in the show notes so that if you'd like more information, you can find out about that. But you can go to grandbaldoncom slash Scott Harrison to look up uh, more links. Uh, show notes, everything that we discussed there. Make sure you stop by, you check out Charity Water and what it is that they're doing. Really, really cool organization and operation that is literally changing the world. So really good stuff. So Scott, thanks for sharing your story and your journey with us. Hey, I told you at the top of the show, we are, uh, we've are we been working on this top secret project that I'm super, super amped about. It's a course that uh, is going to be able to help people gain more clarity. You know, one of the biggest things that I hear from people is people are telling me that, you know, I'm doing some type of job right now. I hate it, but I don't know what I'd rather be doing. And sometimes people would say, I have no idea what I'd rather be doing, or I have 97 different ideas of what I'd like to be doing. I just have no idea which one to pick or how to actually make it happen. And so for the past several months, we've been working behind the scenes with a group of people just to kind of come up with some ideas, some ways, some like tangible activities and, and lessons and just a guide, a path for you to find clarity to help you truly find work that you love. So really excited to, to share that with you. That's going to be coming at you in the next uh, next few weeks. So be in, be in the look out for that. Also, uh, this is your, you're running out of time. This is your last chance to register to win this Fizzle giveaway that we're doing. Fizzle.co is a huge online company that's providing business training and support for entrepreneurs. And so we're going to be giving a lifetime membership away to their site, to their service, to what it is that they offer. So you have until tomorrow to register for that. So I don't want you to miss out on it. So if you have not had a chance already, you can go to grantbaldoncom slash giveaway. Again, that's grantbaldoncom slash giveaway. You can register to to win. All right. So don't miss out on that lifetime membership. If you are an entrepreneur, if you're a solopreneur, if you're just getting your thing going and you're looking for some, some support, you're looking for some help, you're looking for some encouragement, you're looking for some practical advice, Fizzle is the place that you want to go. So again, stop by grandbaldoncom slash giveaway and register for your chance to win a lifetime membership to Fizzle. All right. I think that wraps things up here. Yeah. I think that puts a bow on a really great episode. And uh, yeah. 
I just, man, I dig this. I dig, I dig the journeys and the stories of what people are doing and how people are not only uh, creating a life that they love, but they're making a little impact, a little dent in the world as well. So I hope that especially today's interview with Scott was encouraging, was inspiring you to think beyond maybe what you thought was even possible. And this overwhelming, this, uh, this, this massive task of, of providing clean drinking water to everyone in the world, you know, it, it seems like a, a pie in the sky type of idea, but there's a tangible example of Scott who's actually making it happen. So good stuff. Go out there, make it happen for yourself. You're awesome. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.